Good day, good evening, good night, good morning, and welcome to another exciting episode of Black Cauldron. Unfortunately, I am not drinking. I need to fix this, ladies. I need to make sure this because I'm always doing something beforehand. I need to make sure I'm doing something drinking to draw. This is a this is a salon. This is a you know, this is adults. Kids are not necessarily uninvited, but you know, this is for big this is for adults. So we should be, you know, acting adultish. Wow. And I promise this time I promise I would refrain from swearing. Deb is a church lady. And you know, Janina is not a potty mouth, and she is uh, on the Real Tennis podcast. It's, I'm trying so hard. I want I you to know this is hard. This is hard for me. But if you ladies are doing the effort, I need to be a good host, co host, and make that effort. So before I go any further, let me introduce my co hostesses with the mostesses. I am nothing without these ladies. We have Debs at Shackle52. How are you, ma'am? Hello, how's everybody? She's our guiding principal here, okay? So if we sound really smart and, you know, we sound really cool, it's, it's Deb. It's Deb. If Janina and I sound really smart and cool, Deb always sound really smart and cool. She really does, doesn't she? <laughs> so it's it just think of it like, you know, like we, we are soaking it up osmosis. So Deb is the, Deb is the, the, the center of this whole uh, podcast here. And we have Janina. How are you, Janina? I'm good. I'm having, you know, tea because... Good to go. I mean, it just seems appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've already drank. I drank one cup today. But, you know, I don't want to make another just yet. I have to clean my kitchen first. And I don't have magical powers to do all of that. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, it's real here with you. And we uh, we finally left the first book. I hope you enjoyed the first two series, the first two episodes. And we welcome comments and criticism, um, constructive criticism, that is. Um, if you'd like anything fun you would like us to do, you know, how we can improve, what you enjoy, because we're all here to open it. And we're not doing this. We have talked amongst ourselves about the book. So we really didn't, you know, so we don't need, we're not doing this for us. We're doing this mainly to... Oh, I, stop it. We are totally <laughs> doing this for us because we are all no, no, Harry no, 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 Potter no. junkies. <laughs> no, I mean that. No, I mean the fact that we're actually having a podcast because we have conversations by ourselves and we're it's stimulating just the same. We don't need yeah. to actually record and put it out there. So we're putting this out there as an effort to share. This is a sharing experience why we're doing this. So, um, And you should know that half of the things that we usually say in our conversations we talk about things that brand new <laughs> on the podcast, so we don't literally. So we're not having the podcast over and over again. But it's really fun, and it's so it's one of the best things um, I've done. It's equal to my other podcast. Just saying. Aww. Um, Aww. That's because you have. Let me say something, people. You can never go wrong <laughs> when you hang with black ladies. You never go. <laughs> Black woman, believe them. What they say, you better do it, okay? And I mean, this is like, you know, a true personification of black girl power here. I'm telling you, black girl girl magic. This is black girl real magic here. (laughs) Hey. So we are on to the second book, which um, for all of the, um, I think, in publication terms, 
the, from the second book to the seventh book, they kept they all have the same names. I think the first book was the only one where in some places it's a philosopher's stone or the sorcerer's stone. And from now on, all of the books kept the same name. So the second book, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. And I want to say that I wasn't, this was the book, though this wasn't a book that really got me hooked, I would say. This was the book where I was like, okay, things are definitely getting interesting. And I would keep reading to the third book. I would, I would continue. So this book sort of, sort of the first book was like, hmm, this was neatly wrapped up. Um, okay, nothing unusual. And I'm saying there's nothing necessarily crazily unusual because um, I find that these books are in the folklore of Enid Blyton and somewhat. So British magical law sort of have a lot of these elements. But the second book was where I was like, oh, something magical and something completely, 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 completely different is really, really happening here, and I really want to continue going. And by the time I get to the fourth book, I was like, okay, um, I'm going to stand outside. I'm going to try to find the other books. Wait, I, I cannot wait. I need these books to be out every other week as soon as I finish reading. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, there's only three more books. Like, this is crazy. This is trash. Like, I need, I need every bit of detail that is happening in this world. I need to know how everything works. So... The second book was really, and looking back, um, the second book seemed to be, um, Deb pointed out to us that the second book is a pivotal, pivotal book. Um, it is the book that basically reveals everything, you know. So, the ladies, could you let us know what did you think of the second book as you reread it? Because we all reread the book as we are <laughs> doing the podcast, just so you know. <laughs> so, well, this Go ahead, Deb. Oh, okay. I, I just, it's really, I will confess that when I read this book the first time, I just thought it was a nice adventure story. Mm-hmm. Of course, because we don't know all of the, what the various meanings of so many of the, of the things that happen in the, in the book. We don't know the significance of those things. So I just enjoyed it as a straightforward adventure story and because um it does wrap up no cliffhanger um even though we know that there are more to come um i just thought it was nicely done and i was really focused on what happened the plot and i thought it was well plotted there was enough um misdirection so that you didn't immediately solve the mysteries and um so it was very enjoyable when we get further into the series and probably actually at the end, you really, when you go back and reread this book, you think, oh my goodness, every possible element that we need for the series is somewhere dropped in this book. Mm-hmm. And, or most, or many of them are dropped mm-hmm. in this book. So then I began to really appreciate um, how important it is to the rest of the series. So for me, Chamber of Secrets is my least favorite of the series. Um, I have read it a million times, what feels like, and I have never truly appreciated it until this podcast, until Deb pointed out. And even though I knew because I've read it so much, I didn't look for things um, until this rereading. I just, like you said, I, I just appreciated it for a nice story. 
Um, lots of things happened, but you really, on first read, have no idea of the information that you're being presented with. It just seems like you're getting bombarded with all of this stuff from the magical world that doesn't necessarily mean anything for any thing down the uh, road so i was just like yeah okay it's a it's okay i didn't love it i still don't love it um but i absolutely 100 percent appreciate it on a level that i never even considered before and i can't wait to dive into that so um i would say that there are i have so many things reveal themselves to me in this book now that I'm looking back now at this point. Um, and I like that, Deb, you said, you know, like a nice adventure story, because that's kind of like what I thought of the first book. And this is a nice adventure story. And when I got to the second book, I was like, this is still an adventure story, but I'm not so sure if this is nice in the sense that the, we are having that nice things are happening. Because one of the things that I'm looking back now as I'm rereading this book is the level of violence or attempted violent acts that are happening. Mm -hmm. And we are somehow being led to think we're talking about marshmallows. That it feels like it's very light. But when you consider the, the, the sort of things that are actually happening, it's like, um, this is this is wicked, this is dangerous, <laughs> this is, uh, bullying comes up again, and it's a pivotal plot point here, and I'm just like, ooh, these books are, the darkness that I think that I attributed, this happened that I found, <clears throat> slowly build up to a crescendo till the fifth book, what I'm realizing that the darkness was always there from the very beginning, like we said. It really is, is, isn't it? it really is. The book opens talking about an attempt to triple homicide, and it's like, like, and the mm -hmm. real target was a baby. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not the two, it's not the two people that you would have expected him wanting to eliminate these two prodigious and you know skilled wizards and which That wasn't his attempt. wasn't to Wasn't them. We realize it's actually hinted at Olyan. It's him. It's the baby that was the real target. That, you know, that the um, Voldemort says in the first book, I didn't have to kill her. You know, I told her to move. And that seems to be a point that he seems to be stressing as if that's a thing. Like, I told her to move. Like, what's she supposed to do? Oh, yeah, kill my baby. Let me walk out of here and be normal. <laughs> like, bro, right. like. Like, what is it? So that darkness and that, you know, like um, heaviness within the books from the beginning. So um, we decided we don't. I, I, we, again, we're assuming that everyone has read the book. Um, if the, the title isn't clear to people, Harry goes back to school, the Chamber of Secrets, that, a chamber that's filled with secrets and is also called the Chamber of Secrets has been opened up in the school and there is chaos and mayhem, you know, and Harry gets into the Chamber of Secrets as always. He gets into places that he has no business being in. <laughs> uh, he has penetrated, I, I don't, I think at the end there will be no secret that this child has not um, found at this school. You know, sometimes my mother used to say, when you go looking for trouble, you certainly will find it. <laughs> you know, and right. in this case, Harry... <laughs> 
you know, Harry, I don't even go looking for trouble. Trouble just seems to arrive at the doorstep. So, and the, whatever is in the Chamber of Secret is vanquished, and Harry is safe and sound in the end, you know, happy ending. Um, so, as always, I know one of the things that I find fascinating about the, the book is when Harry is at Privet Drive. Because mm-hmm. I think in. <clears throat> I think when people talk about the books and the series, often they just describe Harry being put upon that the, the the abuse that Harry deals with, it's like a fairy tale Cinderella type of abuse. But I think Rowling is painstakingly telling us that it Harry is, is so is incredibly suffering. bad. It is so bad. Especially, like, I mean, it happens in book one and we see, you know, that he's being treated like a piece of shit, right? We see that. But in the beginning of this book, oh, my word. I I think that the Dursleys have actually regressed simply because now people can say, oh, um, now they're fearful of Harry. You know, in a way, because they never know. They don't know what that magic means, the fact that he is a wizard. But they have just given full vein to um, or full reign to their dislike of him, the fact that they don't want him around, um, the abuse of him. But they're reined in a little bit because they don't know when the wizarding world might come down on them. Mm -hmm. So but it's really um, it's just it's just very very strongly abusive and physically abusive in addition to being isolating and all the other things that it was in the first book i mean can we just like remember that this is a 12 year old child right a 12 year old and you're telling him constantly that he doesn't matter go to your room and pretend to be invisible pretend he says this over and over I'm going to go to my room and pretend like I don't exist. You cannot do that to a child. Like, that gets embedded into their psyche. Mm -hmm. Like, it's you cannot. But, you know, so there's, there's that aspect of mental abuse and belittling and what that must do to your own self-esteem, which we know that it's everlasting. I mean, I don't think that ever truly goes away throughout the entire series. Um, but this is the book that Reels mentioned, you know, Aunt Petunia throws a damn frying pan at his head. Like, come <laughs> on. Like, it is crazy. Hold on. I want to, because... When she does this, it is so casually that she's doing it, as if this were a normal thing. This Not is like, written. Oh. It's written like going, oh, and by the way, it's Tuesday morning. Throws frying pan and, and at Harry's head. head. <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> and what is even more, I think it's that they that they're not just they just don't dislike Harry. What is clear every single time. Is that they're deliberately cruel. That yeah, they yeah. that they, yes. they this is not like, oh, so you're here, whatever. This is like, oh, you're here, guess what? You're nasty, your parents are worthless, and guess what? Nobody likes you, no one loves yeah. you. So guy. These mm-hmm. people sent this child, they went through the effort to send him a Christmas present. Every bloody Christmas, 
at Hogwarts, and it was trash. Yeah. They sent right. him a toothpick this time around. A bloody <laughs> toothpick. And I'm just like, and I mean, I am aware of what's happened in the world well enough to know that this is not a fairy tale. People do this to children. Yeah. That there is, I am sure that there are files where there are actually documented cases of child abuse. Mm-hmm. That is written where people do this sort of thing. People with Dudley coming. And what is even more crazier to me is that they have now um, co-opted Dudley. So right. Dudley is now corrupted. Like there is just nothing that Dudley doesn't recognize. Here is a fellow child like myself. And he's being abused. And Dudley's manner of abusing Harry is just beyond physical. Because it's very clear that Sue, like a long time, he can't physically get at Harry. Harry's too fast. He's too slender. Mm-hmm. You know, he can't physically get him. But Dudley knows I can torture this kid psychologically. Yeah, yes, he Harry, says. You don't have it. It's your birthday. I know it's your birthday. I'm putting it on Uncle Vern. I don't even acknowledge it's his birthday. No, not right? at all. But he's just like, I know what day it is. And guess what? No one likes you. None of your, none of those friends at your school want you. They sent you nothing. No cakes. Nothing. Like, and, and we know that we, because we, I think we saw his birthday the year before. We know right. his birthday is a complete show, right? That they're buying all this present and it's a whole yeah. production for no reason, right? It's over the top because, you know, they're wasting money, you know, like, let's give you another person that he doesn't care anything about. And all of this is just an effort to show Harry that he's the whole worthless. I'm just like, this is insane. I felt genuinely sad when Harry's like singing happy birthday to himself. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. That is so horrible. And it also indicates that, um, that Dudley has, that they're paying that kind of attention to with the things that hurt Harry, like not getting any correspondence from his friends. So there, it's not like just accidental. They're mm-hmm. observing. They're wanting mm-hmm. looking yeah. for opportunities where they can taunt him, where they can, um, you know, make him feel bad about himself. So this is not, this is not accidental. This is not accidental cruelty. This is deliberate premeditated cruelty. Yeah, Just mean, nasty find. bastards. And because last last year, the year before, in book one, Harry never got, excuse me, Harry never got a letter, and they were all attempting to stop him from getting any letters. Right. Now they don't even have to board up the letter box. They just know, just like, nope, we're looking. Nothing comes right. for you, Harry Potter. You went to a school, and even the school doesn't like you. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow. And then when, you know, he gets, when when he, it's noticed that he's in the home, um, when Dobby pulls his little tricks, <laughs> it just, you know, it's like, you can't, the, these people, Mr. Dursley's business partners, would never in a million years know if Harry went to school with Dudley or not. They would never know. But they say that he goes to the school for the severely irreparable behavioral right. kids, you know, like, I mean, just ev- at every corner and at every opportunity, they are just beating him down and beating him down and beating him down. And I just think that um, 
we don't always appreciate what that does to Harry and how that carries him forward into his life at Hogwarts. So there is a um there is a health index. I think recently there's a school of study that they just did um recently they they factor in I forget what it's called. I'm 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 gonna say it's trauma index, but it may have an, a proper a, a more specialized name where they look at life expectancy and health outcome of people. And what they have realized is that, particularly in people of color, is that their life expectancy and healthcare outcome is actually lower than white people or just people in, um, in general. They mostly look at it in a race-based factor, um, but the implication goes outwards in the fact that they've realized that when you take the trauma index, index like who have had a parent shot in their home, who've seen homicide in their life, dealt with severe abuse, had like an ill parent and whatever, that typically that then starts to re-scramble the DNA and affect your tissues and your organs, basically. That typically right. you tend to have a higher risk of getting high blood pressure. You tend to be in more violent situations lead to drugs, uh, you know, those kind of outcomes. And relatively, your life expectancy is short. And I am like, I am surprised Harry isn't in the dungeons making up some kind of potion, some kind of sleep draft. Right. Um, to, because that has been, I mean, that happens to him, right? Where he has suffered so much trauma and they're like, no, you cannot function awake. We need to put you on that, basically. Mm-hmm. The strongest sleeping potion, you need to go to sleep. And I, I didn't want to mention it now, but I think it's important to us mention it now. I mean, the amount of trauma that is happening to so many people in this book, and no one gets therapy. Just there is just no one's action. And, and I say therapy because you know I don't want to sound like you know like everything should be done with therapy, but no one deals with the problem. Like right. actually discuss. This is what is happening to me. Right? You know, um, all we hear of Harry when he talks about his home life is just like, oh, those muggles were right, cruel to him. That's it. That's it. No one talks about when they're cruel to a child. What does that mean? No one says, no one asks about what the trauma and the implication is to think. No one even, no one even asks each other about the trauma. Like, I think Ron asked Harry, one, do you remember what happened when Voldemort attacked you? And Harry said, I don't remember anything. And that's it. Mm-hmm. They never I never asked, considered that. I never no considered never asked, it. Never but, it but I do think it, I think it has impacted his personality. We'll see. I mean, and I think that, you know, if, if you'll see that people respond in different ways. And in Harry's case, it has made him into, and we talked about this a little bit with the last book, and then even more so with this book, it has made him a reactor. It makes him run towards danger. Um, it makes him um, just care, put more on his shoulders than should be there, you know, with being 12 years old. Um, even before he has the sense, Reels, and you talked about his sense of, pers- of, per- of purpose, even before he is fully aware of that, he is already a reactor and someone who is taking on more than his share. 
Um, like he has to save things. He has to fix things, um, which we will talk about down the road whether when that's not positive. But in this particular book, you know, he just completely runs towards danger um, whenever it presents itself. And do this, do this, it would come up. We see this already. What is also being set up here in these books, in these early books, every single time, is Harry's ability to take pain, psychological trauma, take it, internalize it, put it in a little box, and move on. Like, right. take, I mean, because, I mean, we'd see this, and, and, and it's not accidental, because it will become a thing mm-hmm. that it is yeah. a skill that it becomes a scale, an, an actual scale. Well, and, and we know this book, this, we talked about every nothing happens by accident. This entire book is one not accident. <laughs> like, right, there's right. so, oh my gosh, there's just so much. There's so, so much. So let's get into it. Let's, so, we'll be there with the home. So. We deal with the home, except for this is when we meet the lovely little Dobby, the house elf. This is our, I think this, this is this our first introduction to a house elf in general, right? Yeah. In the entire series. So we get to, we get to meet Dobby and, um, you know, Dobby becomes such a beloved character through the series and, um, gosh, he's a mess, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Dobby. I don't know. Like, I and want to. Also abused. Dobby <laughs> is abused, right? What else? Of what? What one isn't? But I mean, that seems to go along with the territory. But it presents us with this whole other magical world because house elves have their own powers and apparently very very powerful magic um, that wizards don't have. So we get introduced to something here. We just get a little bit of a teaser, Um, but he just, you know, he, he comes to pivot drive. He creates all of this chaos. um, And then, you know, we, we know now that Dobby creates chaos wherever he goes, even if it's helpful in the end. It's still somehow chaotic, which really goes along with like how he looks. Even I love Dobby uh, personally. Yeah. I could tell Reels does not. He's like, listen, this little mofo. <laughs> Two things I want to say is, oh my god, I forget what one of them. Oh yes, my first gripe with the magical, and I'm gonna first my first issue is the magical um, world, like elemental magic like how magic operates in the world i have a lot of questions and issues about that and this is my first problem here dobby does magic and the magic wizard in world can figure out when magic happens but not who magic does let me say there's no way you can convict me you cannot convict me if you can't tell when a house elf does magic <laughs> as opposed to when right. a human does right. magic I don't want no letter from my, hop, my father Hopcock. Like, girl, mm. take that piece of paper and shove that up somewhere where I don't See? even know. It's, it's, I just imagine that it it was based on the location of it. I never even considered that. I never did. I just take things at face value. I really do. Because here's the problem with that, because it, Harry doesn't exist in a place where only he can exist. 
right. no, but I mean, but, at the drive, it would be Harry. More than likely, if someone was, if if there was a notification, ding, 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 at the Ministry of Magic, mm-hmm. that something, some kind of magical act was performed on Pivot Drive, of, of course it would be Harry. Oh, but here's the thing. Except it never no, is. No, no, no. <laughs> No, actually, he does magic. He does magic. A couple times, but... But but I would say, for example, when you're driving in a car and they send you a speeding ticket uh, from one of the cameras, right? They don't attach it to your license because though it's your car, anyone can be in that car. So they assign the summons to the car. No, my thing is that it's very clear that anyone can pop up there because we we see evidence of this. That mm-hmm. other magical being can be there. In fact, the book opens with two magical beings present. Right. right? And right. I'm just like, you're saying underage magic. Because my thing is just like, wizards at home can do magic. Right? Because when children at home, let's say Ron and Hermione are doing, not Hermione, but Ron is doing magic at home. How can they say that it's an underage wizard that did the magic then? Right? Because you live in a house with qualified wizards. So to me, it's so just they, like they probably wouldn't. They probably wouldn't um, re- be able to trace some, if Ron was practicing his magic. They probably couldn't. And I'm sure you remember he said that there was a spell that in the first book that that one of the twins had taught him. You know, nobody is gonna replic- Nobody's gonna reprimand him for that because before so he gets to school. Yeah. There were but, so many wizards of age in that house. He would have taught it to him at home because he's doing it on the train. So they 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 know that if you've got a house full of wizards who are of age, you really can't trace underage wizardry. You to, can in a, house, in, that, in a house like that. Well, they would no, they they would accuse you because it's one of the things where when eventually in the seventh book when Harry goes to the borough, he can't use magic until he becomes 17. Right. Because they're afraid the trace would be on him. And I'm like, I don't know how effective this trace is because the trace doesn't... Oh my God, you are so right. I hate it when you do this. The trace doesn't... Because the the magical presence... Because the the magical trace is supposed to work twofold, right? One, it's supposed to detect underage wizardry which also is going to lead to another question about how magical education works, right? I can only do magic when I'm in school. What kind of nonsense is that? So, I mean, I don't want to jump, like, too, too far ahead. But but I have a question about that. mm -hmm. Did something happen in Book 7 where they put a trace on Harry? Or was that strictly because he was underage? Well, remember, the trace is run by the Ministry of Magic. Right? I know. And I think we're afraid that if you were to use magic. But your argument only works if that's what it is, and I can't remember. And I believe no. you because you always catch these little things. No, like they that. were. I think. I think though they didn't fully explain what it was. I think they were afraid that because of how the trait allegedly works, right, that right. they would be able to augment the principles and attach, get to him, because that's why they weren't doing flu powder, right? Because it's connected through the ministry, and perhaps the ministry can control who is going through flu and be able to capture that person. That makes sure all flu is connected. You have to come to the ministry. It's a, a, it's, a it's a network. It's a network. 
Yeah, they were afraid of how the network worked. But the trace works two ways. The trace supposedly detects underage magic and also detects when magic happens in front of a muggle. But my specific question is, though, in book seven, when there's that trace on Harry and they are afraid that he's going to use magic because then someone will know where he is. I I remember that 100 percent. My question is, was there was there something that was put on Harry to trace specifically him or were they relying on the fact that he was still underage and it would have automatically come to him that's what i'm not remembering clearly no there wasn't something magical that's on him apparently there wasn't they don't, they don't explain how this magical okay happened but yeah. i think there was some reference about so we're just every, every wizard and which is registered yeah so we're just to assume right. that it was the underage thing then right it, it, it is the underage thing that they were afraid so of how old age. is dobby <laughs> well, no, Dobby doesn't work that but way, Dobby, right? So you think Dobby was relying on the fact that um, that he was in proximity to Harry, right? Yeah, and, for sure. And his proximity to Harry would confuse, and you know, because nobody's expecting a Dobby a to be, to be made, dead, right? And clearly, it works. You know, they that they, they would just uh, assign <laughs> the magic that was done there to Harry. Um, just because of their proximity, just because of his proximity. Right. This and the whole Dobby showing up in this introduction to House Elves also brings up the fact that we we did touch on this, and I'm sure that we'll continue to touch on it. Um, whether or not you need a wand to do magic, House Elves don't no, have wands. No, no, no. Um, this they, they explain these principles that the other quote unquote magical creatures have magical powers. Not our ability to do magical things, but I feel they like house elves do magic. Right, they can do magic yeah. in whatever the case may be. There are rules that are bound by them, but they don't because in this magical world, for them, wand magic, wand magic is an extension of the power. Right, because this is the thing that I think the um the goblins have an issue. The goblin is just like we cannot extend our power. With the with, with wands, yeah, we need wands to extend our powers. But it's kind of odd because in most other magical worlds, like most of the magical fictions, it's wand magic is is limited. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a limiting factor. Like you need this piece of stick in order for the magic to right. work. And we I also even, well, we we do find out that a house elf has the ability to use a wand. They just don't have their own wand. No, that no house elf never used a wand. A house elf just picked up a wand. Just yeah, he picked up a wand. He never? Picked up no, it they never, never gets do. used? No. no. They can oh, because he's, he's like caught holding it, but he's yeah, never used Because he disarmed her. Because, and, and th- this is my problem with Dobby. So for me, immediately I read Dobby, and it's even worth hearing a version of the book we read. <laughs> Dobby is literally. Uh, Dobby is literally supposed to represent black people are slaves. And if we go back to Grip Hook, not the, the, the goblins, they're basically, in my mind, this is Jewish um, symbolism here. These are Jewish, the money people, the people who are counting money and they can't be trusted. These are like this kind of a um, caricature of certain people. Dobby's speech pattern. Just how Bobby, that he had a Dobby is a slave, basically. And I'm like, JK, I'm not sure what you're doing here, but a lot of these magical creatures, because there is no reason, in, in my mind at least, 
the, the goblins and elves can exist, right? But they can be, and they're clearly thinking beings, sentient beings, right? They can, they're capable of understanding what's happening in the world. There is no reason why they cannot be uh, a full member of the society. Because right. if you go back to, um, and that's part of the policy that is a big theme in the book about who gets to be, what is purity, what is right, what is what is right in terms of like a right magical being. Because it seems as if a quiet issue that is happening is that very clearly that the humans, wizards and witches, are quietly asserting that in the magical world, we are the thing and mm-hmm. everybody else is a creature. Sure, which is, right. Which is right. Even though these people are operating and conversing with human beings, you know, I mean, operating an equal level that Dobby isn't incapable of understanding what's happening in the world. But yet yeah. Dobby's speech pattern sounds like someone who can't read. He is he's, he's in poor physical health. He's missing teeth. He's constantly <laughs> drunk, <laughs> drinking. Like the, the, the minorest thing. Oh, like, like I'm like, so the other question I have the other question that I have is like, why would you have a house slave, uh, a house elf, who can't wash well, clothes, uh, iron clothes? Because laundry is is distinctly out of Dobby's repertoire, right? Because Dobby well, cannot be given clothes. Laundry for himself. Laundry for himself. But Dobby doesn't wash his clothes because his tunic is always dirty. The pillow. No, I'm is saying that, but he, it's obviously something he can't do for himself. That everything he has to, everything he does has to be in service to someone else. Right, right. And we learn quickly in this book, I, I, yeah, it's this book that mm-hmm. only rich wizarding families have house elves, you know, and yeah. then we learn Ron says he wishes he has one, but because that would be great to do the chores, but like, they only have a cool. So this brings wishes they had one. Yeah. So this this brings us back to the whole class issue and really it makes sense tying it in what you're saying reels that you know this is a representation of slavery. But, but, but here's my it, problem. Here's my problem here's one of my even more added problem with that situation that you've literally created slavery that didn't need to exist. It's just mainly cruel because you can do magic. And literally, we have seen magical spells and books that are there that are able to do this work. That the fact that you are making a, another a being, another creature, as you have it, do the work that you can literally wave a wand and think is another level of madness. Well, it's an accurate representation of society. Exactly, exactly. Reels, you just, you just. Um, you just supported the very thing that you're talking about. It is a level of madness, but but that is kind of the the, the human beings and their a tendency to want to set up a hierarchy yep. regardless of whether they need it or not. Yep. This, is, this is it's 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 really more about the fact that oh we need someone below us. We need we need this mm-hmm. to oppress someone as opposed to. Oh, we need someone to do this for us because we can't do it ourselves. Right. It really well, does. You really have supported that very argument, and that that would happen even in a world where people didn't need to oppress the other beings. Uh, exactly. I'm just like yeah. because every time I meet, because there there are many um, magical creatures that you meet, 
and that are all right. integral to the plot, right? They're not like minor characters. But even right. when they're not, if you look at how vampires are represented, even how dwarfs are represented, and again, mm-hmm. there are this is these are deliberate acts, right? Because the 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 Marvel have been elves. If you look at um, Tolkien, another one of those like who wrote like you know sagas of multiple novels, elves are just as equal as dwarves, right? They are just functioning in the world, smart, you know, like being and whatever the case may be. And that that to me was just like I'm not. I get what is happening here. I can understand that you okay one in a house elf, and I'm just like, why reduce? Because these people all have physical characteristics, right? They all become a thing, and it is the thing that is like quietly not said because Hermione is being treated as hysterical when she takes on the plight of the house elf, <laughs> right? Like, right. like, right. oh my god, like, girl, like, stop, stop right. it, stop it, right? <laughs> So we need these elves. We need out. these elves. And I'm just like, you don't need these elves. And we find out that, you know, that Dumbledore is a benevolent master of this little plantation at Hogwarts. Because <laughs> he literally pays them, right? But of course, because here's the thing that is upsetting to me. It isn't the fact that Dobby exists. It's the fact that Dobby doesn't. The hotels don't want freedom. Oh, we don't want. Oh God, money. Thank you. What's wrong with you? Oh my God, don't say thank you. Like, oh God, like, mm-hmm. oh my right. God, no. Right. And it's just like, I mean, even the very end of this book. I mean, when Malfoy kicks Dobby, I was like, no, beep. I would have said like, I'm just like, what is wrong with you, sir? Like. Like you, you literally have a piece of stick. The, the moment you're gonna pick up the stick now, what you're gonna use the stick to do is to hurt a child instead yeah. of taking this stick to fix your shoes. And I was, you know, I was when I read that book, I was just like, I was, I said, MF, please raise your wand at Dumbledore. I wanna see that. I would take my popcorn. Raise your wand at Dumbledore. <laughs> All the mouth you have in this place. All the money and board governor messing madness you have. Right. Pull that one on Dumbledore. Oh, but well, Dumbledore deal with his ass in the fifth book. But not like, you know, I wanted to see. <laughs> right. Him all right. Time. Real but that's just like, ah! I mean, like, this, because to me, it's like, I mean, because this is the problem that I have. It's that, and one of the questions of it is like, in, even in the magical world where you have literally magical solutions, even in a world like, Superman and comic book, where Superman can put beams out of his eyes, that you would still have an issue of, like, the man is always on top over the woman, and I'm just like, why, though? We live in a magical world, right? Like, him being physically strong doesn't even matter, because everyone can be the same. All of these magical worlds are reflections of, of, of where we are anyway. I mean, nobody is really um, using that as a way to Reimagine something to to reimagine the world. Really, they're yes, they're yeah. putting. Yeah, you know Isn't that that that's been the contribution of people of color to to re to imagine a world that would remove some of those hierarchies and to um, to get people to think about ways of coexisting 
that you you know you just really got people who are acting out of what they've read from their own past and the hierarchies and the structures that they know and the most you're going to get is someone raising a question about it the most you're going to get is a writer saying let's look at this is this right but they're still going to go back to the things presenting it in the way that they know I mean, like, even in fantasy, we're still oppressed. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like, that is that is crazy. And, yeah. you know, I just want to, because I just want to, and, and what is even is that David gets his freedom not by overcoming the situation and fighting for his freedom. It's no. accidental. It's yep. a mutual, and it's just like, what? <clears throat> like, for yeah. all of the things that this kid, this, I don't even know how old Dobby is, Dobby is, and and again, you know what's even more frustrating? They're treated like children. Mm-hmm. Right. They're treated like children. And right. even just the way in which Dobby expresses attempt to help Harry is just immediately he leaves one mastership to become subservient to another human being. You know right. what I mean? He never even, see- even if he's not doing the things that Harry wants him to do. Right. But he he's still um doing it, you know, putting himself out there to to save Harry. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, then we see, in addition to Dobby and, and that kind of subservience, you know, we see the whole issue. This is the book where we're dealing with mudblood. We first get that oh, particular mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, we get, we get a little bit of pure blood wizards and 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 people who are coming from muggle families or are coming from half yeah. and half. But in this book, we get the actual terminology. We get the, um, the, the really plays out in, in a really strong way between Malfoy, um, Malfoy calling Hermione a, a mudblood mm-hmm. and then having to have that, all of that explained and, um, you know, kind of playing on that. And the whole idea that, um, that the Chamber of Secrets or whoever the monster is in the Chamber of Secrets will wipe out all of the the mud bloods or the not or the pure blood or the right. not pure blood. But right. you, you see, I have I'm just gonna say this because these things upset me because again like I was saying before, you know, like fantasies are like authors, mainly white authors pick up these tropes and don't know how to handle these things effectively. And in essence, what you end up having, having is a replication of the real world and in almost, in many cases, giving it almost a pass. Because the mudblood situation, every time I see mudblood, I feel like someone just said to me, nigger. I'm just like, yeah. what I mean, I think that's what it's meant to be. No, I think that's I, what it's meant to be. No, I don't mean it in that sense. I feel like if well, yes, I guess it's that, that derogatory. But 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 you know what is problematic for me is that how it's not dealt with on an appropriate level. Well, nothing is in this book, and at least that's consistent. I because, mean, nothing, none of none of the inappropriate things that happen in the entire series are ever truly dealt with. We don't deal with the bullying. We don't deal with the class issues. We don't deal with the purity issues from an adult's point of view. That that stuff never gets addressed. Like Hogwarts doesn't have any anti-bullying club. It don't have any like <laughs> no, we no, don't because no. and it's funny because 
it's very clear that we would later see that the mudblood issue <clears throat> becomes a thing that it's been present. It's been present from the founding of the school, <laughs> and it is yeah. present. Yeah, well, we learned it in this book. And it yes, is yes. present amongst the students themselves. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really wish when these folks or anything is trying to handle these things is how they don't ever openly say what they're talking about is really ridiculous. Not just the engagement with it at both sides of the issue, right? We are let right. we we kind of let these ideas fester. So um, Malfoy calls Hermione for the first time a mudblood. And we let that like, oh my God, this is outrageous. You shouldn't say that. But everyone just like, oh, some people, some wizards have that view. But my yeah. thing is just like, how about we, we're at schools and education. We really address these things. The ministry of, because we know, and, and we can see this in our real life, right? That in order for these things to change and effectively some kind of policy may happen is that you need some, the governmental structure to put these policies in place and into law. This is precisely why we find out Voldemort was trying to take over the Ministry of Magic and take it over. Because right. he knew in order for this policy to be enacted and actually go, he needed law to do this. But right. it seems as if we act as if these things are harmless ideas. And then what we see is the natural, these things are not harmless ideas because we see the natural conclusion of these things. The final solution. Let's kill I them don't know and that- get I don't know that it's approached in a way that these are harmless ideas because it is the underlying reason for the problem. And that is addressed. It's just not addressed the way that we would think it would be by a group of adults. I mean, because ultimately the issue with Voldemort is that he wants a pure wizarding community. So we know that this is an issue and it's, you know, and it's interesting because it's this book. I think it's this book that we find out that he himself is not a pureblood. Um, but, but this is what he wants. So it's always there, and people are fighting against that. But they're not saying that's what they're fighting for. It's not clear. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely not clearly that, laid that, out. That is not how the battle lines are being drawn. We no. let in quiet company and in quiet spaces. These ideas are festering. Right. People are just like, okay, yeah. whatever the case may be. Because Malfoy is never punished for that statement. Never. Snape is never punished never. for the statement, he says. People, no. because we take these things as personal insults and personal issues, right? Yeah, and, right. They're definitely and, not looked at as social issues. And what is it's very... Not, it's, it's not looked at as institutional. It's right. looked at as, you know, you know, it's almost like A Malfoy person. had bad manners. Right. So, and um, this is the reason this is the reason why people died and this is the reason why people have been fighting you know to keep um Voldemort from coming back as opposed to, so they're treating it like it's just bad manners but right and that's and that's not even explicitly the fight against Voldemort it's explicitly stated along those terms because even if that were the case in the first wizarding war when we get to the fifth book, we see that these ideas are still held in high regard. Mm-hmm. Yes. About yes. That, that even people who are in charge of the system. And it's something I don't know. Well, we know Dumbledore has certain issues in overtly taking over power, right? He doesn't right. want to be aggressive. He doesn't want to be a politician. 
but this is always that's bothering me is that we let these things they might be like oh well she don't like black people she don't like this kind of person in this case they don't like resident blood they don't like and it's just like how let's have a conversation right because right. i need i need these magical people to tell me how they are having more magical people because Voldemort, first of all, you ain't had no children. You had none. So you're talking right. about well, having that, Secondly, you know, like every one of these people, because um so did you all know? Oh, here's a fun fact that you might not know. That every year in Hogwarts they take forty students. Ten people from every class, from every house. So there are five Ravenclaw boys and there's five Ravenclaw girls. That's pretty much how this school is. I don't know how as well, but that seems to be the number, right? And that the first year dormitories and they move, it's five boys. It's all, it's five. It's very weird and crazy, but I don't know why. It's never like an unusual, um, because when they have class with other students, like other houses, it's 20 of them in a class. Um, because they, they only have a house, they only share a class with one other house. What, what right? are you saying? That it's usually 20 people. It's every year, each house get 10 students basically oh you mean 10 new ones 10 new yeah. ones yeah i see five okay. new boys and five new girls okay so the selection of the house is not often random well actually i guess so it's it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not random at all it's where is this information coming from because the first year dormitory is just five boys of harry harry seamus ron dean and neville and I think in this book, they had class with the Hufflepuff, and it was 20 students in the class. So this is a, this is a conclusion that you've drawn? Well, that's how it is, if you, if you count the number of people in the class. Well, because I never assumed that. So you're like, these are the people that were in the dormitory with Harry and Ron, right? I never, ever assumed that there weren't more first years somewhere else in another room. There weren't. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Why? Um, because, like I said, in this book, they had class with Hufflepuff. Right? I know that they always have classes and that they share it with another and house. And there were 20 students in the classroom. So there are five there are five boys for Gryffindor, five girls for Gryffindor, and five boys for Ravenclaw, for, um, Hufflepuff. And Can five you provide this me in writing in the book okay. with a page reference? Okay, we will look at that. <laughs> I am on. Deb, what but, do you think about this? Well, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm trying to work it, it out in my brain and trying to remember if I can find anything that that would say that's different. But you know, that's they they focus. I just figured that they were just focused on those group of kids. I didn't. Were, I must admit, I thought like <laughs> Janina that there were other kids, other first years somewhere else. Yeah, I know. But but now that I think about them coming on the boats across to Hogwarts, I mean that was about right. I mean I guess that was about um, forty kids. Forty kids. Mm-hmm. It's it's usually it's it's the way it is. Um, He's like that's just the way it is. <laughs> I mean like I I think it's maybe just a neat number she has. I initially I thought that was the case, but I'm like they keep saying. Hermione went to the first year dormitory and Ron said you can't come in here. Right? Not the rooms or whatever the case may be. And because I think there was something that happened where the second year was somewhere close by or whatever. It's, it's, yeah. Because they move dormitories every year. 
they don't exist in the same space. Because okay. I think they kind of move up, whatever the case. But anyway, that's a random fact. But okay. um, <laughs> we were can, before we can we talk? One of the things that we had talked about was um, my feeling that a lot of times this book was overlooked. Yes. Uh, and that some of the reason had to do with with um, characters like Dobby and with characters like and Lockhart that people felt that they were played for humor. And so that because they, between their humor and the adventure story, um, a lot of the other kinds of themes were seen as taking a backseat. But in actuality, this book has all of those themes, some of the things that we've just been talking about in terms of class, in terms of, um, you know, subjugation of magical creatures and things like that. But there's so much that goes on in this book in terms of symbolism and force shadowing that um there's a lot more going on than just the basic plot there's so much going on in this book there's so much i mean i made a list and i'm not going to go over the entire list but the list is long the <laughs> list is so long and i but it it's just so nicely done i mean you like okay but for example things that are just mentioned briefly you may hear of them again in the book but again it's just briefly but have such a huge significance later it's all here it is all here we see the um the vanishing cabinet in um when harry goes to uh the wrong when he gets out at the wrong exit for the flu powder his flu powder gets to nocturne alley when he goes to nocturne alley we learn about that cabinet we learn about the necklace is mentioned we learn about Borgen and Burke. But. We learn about Borgen and Burks. We learn that um, uh, we learn about Mundungus Fletcher in this book, and it's just he's mentioned so briefly, so briefly. Right. But later, he's such a big part of it. This cabinet that just seems to be, oh, that was a beautiful piece of, you know, furniture. Is something that's helping people escape in and out of the castle. I mean, it's this book is so rich with foreshadowing. You, it's impossible to know that. Not to mention the fact that Horcruxes that we. They are first Horcrux. No, the, no, the first and the last Horcrux. It's it's mentioned there. What what is it? What's mentioned? That Harry is the last Horcrux. Is it's it mentioned all, in this? It's all in this, and I'll tell you for two reasons. I didn't know if we wanted to deal with it. One, that Harry is a Parthamal that he can speak Parthamal oh. and doesn't know oh, he's yeah, a Parthamal. Yeah. That's right, one. Right. And two, right. Dumbledore tells him this. He said, "You can do this because Voldemort put a piece of himself in you." And he right. says, uh, it is your choices that you make. But we don't know that's how Horcruxes are made yet when he says that, right. correct? But that should have been something be like, what? But you're right. Oh. No, that's another no, we, piece. That's another right. piece that we just kind of let slide by. I we mean, thought it was cool. We said, oh my God, he gets me proud. Oh, it's I just from. Yeah. We were, yeah. Oh, that's what 
scar means. Okay. That's what the scar means. And that's exactly how I took it. That's exactly how I took it. And I mean, there's just, there's so much. And I really think that that might be part of why this book gets overlooked because there's so much information that seems to not mean anything in all of it seriously means something. I mean, every single bit of it comes back. I need to go back because, you know, I have to say that as I was reading this, I, not that I, it wasn't a matter of dislike, but I always felt that Dumbledore was lying to Harry and not telling him the whole truth. And he said this explicitly because I think in the first book, book he mentioned that the scar was the symbol of the mother's love and the protection. And then he says the scar is something else. And I was like, Dumbledore, what, what are we doing here, Albus? Like, we, well, we're shifting on the... We, we, we seem to be... The mother's love leaves a protection. protection. And when Harry reaches for the scar, he said, not the scar. Not the scar is the protection. He said that because the scar isn't the, isn't the mother's protection. The okay. scar is the, is, the hor- is the symbol of the Horcrux. Yeah. Right. This, this book also tells us that um, that Dumbledore and Snape both are um, great... What is the word? They can both do Yes. So we get that little nugget dropped on us. I mean, there's so much. There is a difference between legilimens and occlumency. And I have to, I keep trying to be like, oh, that's something I need to figure out. What is the difference? So, yes. Snape and Dumbledore are good, what is the word? Legitimens. So the person that can read the mind it's a legitimate. It's a person that's blocking it. Yes. Blocking. So, right. so right. that's, you know, we, we learn that here. We also, um, we see, uh, and just so you all know, Dumbledore, um, tortured creature, just so you know that. <laughs> <laughs> I we hope learned, you know that. <laughs> well, so another thing, you know, we, we get information on the powers of the Phoenix and we meet, Fox in a in a more um we we've seen him but he's yeah he's much more detailed here and we think that he's kind of served his purpose because we learn about the power of him we learn you know Dumbledore says oh they can carry heavy loads they have healing tears they are the most loyal of all pets and then at the end of the book you know here comes this phoenix and it it saves Harry's life and me, you think that's it okay you've served your purpose but he's he's not done you know there's like nothing in this book I don't think there is one single thing in this book that, that we don't see again that we don't see again there's nothing like that's done even Aragog even Aragog except what and, the one thing yeah. we couldn't we couldn't remember so this is the book remember where Harry, the Weasley brothers come and they get Harry in the car. And then later the car saves Harry and Ron from Aragon and the family of spiders from getting eating. I don't know that we ever see the car again. Do we? We were trying to remember. That might be the only thing in this book that only is in this book and nothing else. I will give her credit to say the car car cleared the path. (laughs) And maybe that's why Harry takes. But um, I know Deb talked about favorite magical artifacts, uh, artifacts, but for me, 
one of the things that I've always enjoyed is when the phoenix comes into being because I want a phoenix. Let me just say, I want a <laughs> so, phoenix. Let me I... just say, Fox is bad ass. ass. Bad ass. Can I get me one? Look, I'm not sure. I'm not trying to get one for you, everybody here. I'm just saying there might be one available, and I want one. And it was and, and things it was... like this that made me very curious about Dumbledore. And yeah. I like, like, sir, where have you been? What have you done? Well, like the things right. that you are able to do, because in order for Dumbledore to do this, right, be be able to when you call upon. Showing loyalty to him creates his that he can never leave the school, basically, right? Yes. Once he's in his protection, because that's not what's being said, but this is the magical element or magic that's happening here, right? That well, as long it, as he uh, it is said in the it is this book that Dumbledore actually says that as long as there are here they'll as long as there are people loyal to me here at Hogwarts, I will never truly be gone. That right, is stated specifically here, and we kind of again think that when Fox comes to save Harry because Harry is being loyal to Dumbledore, that that's the end of that. But we see that come up time and time and time again. Right, which, um, but I mean, it's never really explained like magic, right? It just explains like hmm, Dumbledore is just being, you know, Dumbledore. because Dumbledore <laughs> is bigger than everything. Oh, the magic! And I just this is why this is one of the reasons I dislike Harry. I'm like Harry. Dumbledore is right there. Would I would have been on your desk. <laughs> I'm sorry. I would have been like Harry. Like Dumbledore is right there. Get some notes, brother. Like I need questions answered. Like Dumbledore, how do you do it? You see, in the book five, after that situation happened in the Ministry of Magic, listen to me. I don't want no other defense against a dark arts teacher. It's Dumbledore. But That's it takes it. us that long to, for the children in the book. I think so the kids the kids in the book and the students of Hogwarts, they all know that there's this mystique around Dumbledore, but they can't express that. They can't put that into words. I don't believe that they really know that they should go and try to befriend Dumbledore, if that's the way to put it, or to seek information from him. I don't think they know that. I don't I I don't think they know that at all. I mean I, I don't think- with you but again this is a 12 year old he's in awe he's not thinking i need to learn from you and let me let me get a piece of that knowledge that's not how a child thinks they're just like wow dumbledore is dumbledore is magical and dumbledore to adults it's adults who are like yeah uh, because dobby says it he says oh there is magic that abba dumbledore will not do and it's something that um, Professor McGonagall does said as well. She's just like, but Albus, you can do that. And he's just like, oh, you know, she said, you're too noble. And uh, I thought he said something along that line to Harry that there. So he's just like, it's safe at Hogwarts. And I'm just like, no, it's not safe at Hogwarts, okay? No, I don't know where you people keep getting this impression. Actually, actually, I think that that's a, a when I now that I've read the series multiple times, I almost think that's an ironic statement when people say <laughs> very ironic the world in the, yeah. in the world at Hogwarts because of all of the stuff that goes on at Hogwarts mm-hmm. and all of the stuff that Dumbledore allows to go on at, at Hogwarts and lets the, the students figure out for themselves. So. I think it's almost a little bit of irony that, you know, that statement. The other thing that um, that we get a lot of we get a lot of foreshadowing about 
is the whole is the connection between we hit upon it the connection between Harry and Voldemort and the parcel tongue, yeah. um, the fact that he is able and and of course that is immediately everybody else has been cheering Harry for a year. Oh, look at the heroic Harry Potter is here in our school, except for the Slytherins, of course. And yeah. then when he speaks parcel tongue, he becomes an outcast. And even his friends. Oh, they're not they're not casting him out. But they're worried about the fact that he can do it. And so um, because the only other wizard that anybody's ever known to do it. Right. It's, it's always been a dark wizard. No, it's, it's never Voldemort. Been... It's actually that Dumbledore yeah. stresses that, that the only powerful mouth that has been is Silazar Slytherin Sil- himself, Voldemort, right. and now you. Yeah. Right. And I'm like. And worried because remember he was worried that the sorting hat was going to put him in Slytherin and so he's this is the first when he started to get the doubts that we see played out in book five you know is there something wrong with me is there something wrong with me right up until now we've been celebrating oh everything is beautiful I'm magical this is wonderful and now we're starting to get this and starting to get these hints of oh wait a minute what's what's going on with me Am, am I you know, do I have aspects of a dark wizard and that kind of thing? Well, so also really that the people does. that people that, but also that the children know that people couldn't because Harry is something of an anomaly, right? On any right. other circumstance, right? Even if Voldemort didn't try to kill him, is that the fact that he survived the Avada Kedavra curse, right? right. No one right. has ever survived this one. He, He's we the did. boy who lived. And yeah. then you're beginning to wonder how it is that this boy can do this, like. Maybe he's not that silly little boy that we, you know, like kid that, you know, the speckled kid. Maybe there's something to him. It's interesting when, so when they're doing the dueling club, which we, yeah, let's, we could talk about that now because we're here. But this is when the school and everybody realizes that Harry, including Harry, realizes that he's a, he's a parcel mouth because even though he knows that he's talked to snakes in the past, he never knew that it wasn't happening in his native tongue. He just assumed, you know, okay, this is a little weird, but whatever, you know, but now having someone witness that now he knows that it's a different language and it sounds different and that freaks everybody out. Um, but that dueling scene, so that gives us, so that gives us some humor that we get in this book, but it also gives us some more foreshadowing. So let's do the humor first. Um, I was kind of like, I'm not gonna lie, I'm cracking up because I'm listening to this and to this audio book, and they're dueling and they're fighting, and Draco and Harry are going at it, and you know, Hermione, what's her name? Millicent Millicent are going (laughs) at it and everything's going haywire and then this Millicent she's like you know what screw the wands we don't need magic I'm going to kick your ass (laughs) 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 like Harry looks over and Hermione's in a headlock and I'm like what is this but Mm -hmm. you know at the same time I guess like kids get mad they're going to fight I loved that I, I don't know why I got so much pleasure out of that because I guess it just, you know, I, I talked about before part of my attraction to all of this is that there are, there are lots of pieces of it that aren't so far fetched that it couldn't possibly be real. So that's a piece. Like I like to know the kids are at school just fighting. 
But the fact that it was Hermione, like, getting her butt whooped by some girl because the dueling's not going well. And we don't really, no. I don't think we really I, know. I, I think the girl, I think Hermione did something to the girl. I think and the girl said something like, to her. And we don't know that, though. Yeah, we don't know it, I but mean, I would I, assume I, that I, Hermione was just better, and the girl was like, screw this, I can't beat you with magic, I'm going to be flopped. Let me punch this half right now. Yes! <laughs> yes! Because, actually, you know, it's a it's a thing that J.K. Rowling does, I, I, not to forget your point, because it happens with Millicent's hair, is that right. how J.K. Rowling describes people she doesn't really want us to like, is because the thing that intrigued me about this scene was how Harry described Millicent. He was just like, she reminded me of a picture that I saw with Holiday at the, with Hags. And I was just like, this is another 12-year-old you're talking about, girl. Wait, what are you talking about? And that when Millicent, when Millicent had Hermione in a headlock, right? Like, she, she was about to snap that chicken neck, right? That Harry had trouble pulling Millicent off, which means Millicent was bigger than Harry. So Millicent right. is like some sort of a, um, I don't know, like a She-Hulk kind of a um, What did figure. you call her? What? what? A She-Hulk. Okay. But, <laughs> but the other, you know, we, we also, we talked, talked about the dueling. The other thing that we see is Hermione being able to... Um, to, to do that whole polyjuice potion. Oh. And that's a foreshadowing of later when the polyjuice potion be, again plays a major role um, in, the, in the plots of the yeah. of a later book. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, we always been, we've been told how bright she is, how smart she is, but here she's doing a level of magic and potions magic mm. that is so far ahead of everyone else. And she, and also the way that she has figured out um, who the, the the whole story behind the chamber. And this is um, what I'm saying, Hermione don't get her credit. She don't get the credit she deserves. She don't get the credit. But there is something that we sort of missed here. I don't know if Gina was going to hint at that. But there's two things with the dueling scene. One, we're introduced to the Expelliarmus um, charm. Yes. We're introduced yes. to that. And God knows we see that 11 more billion times. Yes. Yes. And also, we're introduced to three things. Two, we're introduced to where the snake appears, and the mm -hmm. snake is disappearing a puff of smoke. And mm -hmm. that will come up again in another duel. But here is my contention, that it is never in classroom that the children actually learn defense against the magic. Of course Any not. Kind of well, it is with Lupin. No. Just no. we haven't seen it yet. Well, you know, really, I mean, this this year, this this particular year in defense against the dark arts is a lost cause. I mean, oh, Gilderoy, Gilderoy dark art, this is a lost cause. You know, oh, Gilderoy! To me, there is Harry, Harry, he cannot. You know, he is not going to be. Don't do that again. Come on, do it again. Harry, 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 he is not going to be any help to anybody learning anything. Zero. So, and you know what I got mad about? You know what pisses me off about Gilderoy Lock? Is that Dumbledore knew this motherfucker was a fake. Forgive me for talking. No, about listen, Dumbledore no. knew he was a fake. Dumbledore knew. But you see, also Dumbledore, he, every year, remember, Dumbledore would get like to the last day and could hadn't found anybody to teach that class. He's, He's like, I got to get somebody in here. To me. And, and I got to get point, a body. 
and I got to get a warm body to teach this class. And I figure, you know, I go in here, just prop him down in there because, you know, you didn't get any indication when he was signing those books that he was going to be, you know, well, they did have a lot of his books on the list, but you didn't get a sense that this had been so a lot. Who was like, all of them? But I actually, <laughs> funny enough, I actually did. I thought Ron was giving me the most information about him and just knowing which class was happening because it was the children who were doing the reading. Hermione stopped this, this thing. She was the one. Right. Because I was just like, and he was kept talking and I'm just like, dude, like, is he supposed to be like over the top flamboyant gay character? But I'm just like, at the end of the day, why are you in here? Like, get out of here. Like, oh, I never you're... thought he was gay. I just assumed that he was um, like a Hollywood prototype romance novel, yeah. like like Fabio, the, oh, the guy really? on the the romance novel covers. I, you know, I, I assumed that he was kind of a celebrity. Yeah. Um, and people, like people who, celebrities who write books for kids, mm-hmm. and they um, assume that, you know, they know stuff because they're a celebrity. I didn't, I just assumed that oh. he was, you know, just kind of this vanity. Yeah. This, this person and you know you think about it he's one of these people who has talked himself into big positions he's never really done anything only thing he's ever accomplished is the confundus charm so he can steal people's um right what people have actually done and leave the people and we know over over and over we hear how good looking he is and this is just you know that whole Let's, yeah, let's fly through on your good looks like that. Wait, no, who are good looking wait. are successful. But but there are so many clues. First of all, Ron don't like him, and how Ron was like, he's something, but Ron doesn't say what it is. Ron doesn't he, like him because he Hermione is smitten with him. I know, but Ron, Ron doesn't Ron doesn't know how to deal with that feeling yet. That is not a thing yet because at this point, Hermione is still annoying, right? Hermione is more. No, I think. Really? You think? Yeah. I think think when Hermione shows this attention to Gilderoy and sleeping with the autograph and all of that stuff, I think that the emotion that Ron is showing is jealousy. I don't know if it's because, I mean, at this point, Hermione is one of the home girl. I think when Hermione changes is when Hermione fixes her front teeth. When those things got reduced, because she had like two, as we would say back in the day, buck rabbit teeth, right? That she was supposed to fix with braces. So but she that's never when Ron notices her more, not right. so much that she notices herself. No, 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 no. That's my point. That it, it's from, it's in book three in my mind that Ron starts to be like, oh, Hermione is a girl. Like she's a girl that I might be interested in. in yeah. Book four, it becomes problematic. But um, in this book with Gilderoy, whenever Harry goes to his office, there are pictures with curlers in their hair, um, the way in which Snape looks at him, and also in this very oh, scene in the duel. Sorry, I hit the wrong <laughs> with the um With the scene with the dueling happening, when Harry, um, when Gilderoy is trying to wave his wand to show he, the wand, he does a whole bunch of like flourishes. It drops and he says, whoopsie. He and does. Like, and and you know what? Like, I just really just thought it was an <laughs> all a big act. I never, yeah, I never thought, I never thought gay. I never thought that about him. I just thought this is one big 
act and he's just over the top dramatic, yeah. but not in a flamboyant gay man way. I never, I never thought that. But, but you know what? You're the gay man here. If you say he's gay, I'm no. gonna go with it. <laughs> I, I don't want to. I don't want to describe like you know because like in the stereotype. But I just think you know this that she gives these sort of uh, um, characterization and hints at people. And he's like he's ineffectual, like he doesn't do anything. Right. Like mm-hmm. he, he can't even do a simple spell, like besides that. Do he doesn't mm-hmm. even know how to even hold on to his own wand. Like, you know, like, yeah. I mean, there, there are certain skills. And this is the thing that I have with magical education, because the skills only are able to like, apparently before you're eleven, you don't do anything, right? You stay at home <laughs> with your parents and whatever the case may be, if you're probably like a mind you went to regular school, um, then there's no clue as to how she manifests it because everyone seems to have been aware that they were magical beforehand. Mm-hmm. It doesn't explain how this happened for um things. <clears throat> but we saw this with, I think we see Lily that they just thought this was just like neat tricks, right? And then right. it wasn't until Snape would say, oh, this is what you are. That is like, oh, okay. Yeah. But um, Gilderoy, just like, and Gilderoy just seemed like a hot mess. Well, he like, is a hot mess. And he's also There's a hot no mess doubt. and dangerous hot mess, too. A dangerous hot mess. Which but is a, the worst a combination. Very, but a very um, cunning and ability to look out for himself and to, you know, because if, 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 if he had had an actual wand and not, <laughs> not Ron's, you know, b- b- put piece together thing, he yeah. would have really done some serious damage. Oh, he was looking to kill them. He was looking to kill them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, and, and it was all about his own self-preservation. So even though he was played for laughs for most of the book, when when the rubber met the road, he was a dangerous person. He was very and, dangerous. And he was going to he was going to do whatever he needed to do to preserve that image of who he was. He had his story all straight. In terms of what he was going to tell folks when he yes, got he back did. out of yes, there, this, this was not a buffoon. This is somebody very cunning um, who knew how to take care of himself. And uh, th- when he, when they realize what he's done, um, or when they realize that he's afraid and he's going to run away, and they question him right. on that, they're like, "But you're our defense against the dark arts." I'm not, that you have me to off help so us. Much. So that pissed me off so but much. But that's when he like, says, like, did you really think? And then again, the insults. The insults when he's talking about everybody are hardcore. He talks about some witch having a hair lip and she couldn't yeah. have a cover of books. And I mean, this listen, if JK Rowling can't do anything else, she can throw some insults. I mean, she can do a lot. She she is really She's really all about the conventional. She's all she, about the conventional. She said, we're not, we are not sugarcoating anything, boo. You're fat, you're ugly, and you're stupid. <laughs> like, that's what, you she, know, she just throws it all out there. Do you see, like, in the beginning of the book, and you see this early on, right? Uncle Vernon is a fat walrus. <laughs> Petuna is a bony, horse-faced woman. And Dudley <laughs> is a, um, is a pig, a porky yeah. pig. Yeah, I was right. like, ooh, she nearly made me turn me off from bacon. But girl, <laughs> hey, but it, even as, as big as Hagrid is, he put a tail on him. Right. 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 Put the tail on him. So listen, I think this is probably a good place to stop. And then when we pick up next time, we can talk about, we can let people know that we're going to talk about 
how Hermione starts to change. I want us to talk about Gilderoy Lockhart a little bit more. And there's like some more deep symbolism in here that we the need to talk chamber about. The actual chamber of secrets, right? We need to talk about the actual chamber <laughs> well, of secrets. But yeah. we're gonna and we're gonna Tom talk Rip- about and the diary. Yeah. We're going to talk about the diary. We're going to talk about how we learn more about the connection of Harry and Voldemort. And we're going to talk about, and I would love to hear from people, what does the red hair represent for the Weasley family? So we're definitely going to get into that. But this is probably a good place to stop. Oh, Because uh, that's going to be a long conversation, the yeah, next one. Yeah. Oh, I would just want to point out that when Debbie talked about how dangerous Lockhart was, we were talking about him trying to kill them in the Chamber of Secrets. But this idiot removed all the bone of the Harry hand, and I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't right. be a teacher. You shouldn't be a teacher. Like, you just shouldn't have a job. And he just yeah. goes, oh, oh, haven't done that for a while. Better go see Ben okay. Humphrey. <laughs> can I say that? Can I say that? <laughs> and can I say, I don't know how refereeing and officiating goes on at this school, but this is twice now in a Quidditch game, right? Where Harry is almost killed and the game goes on like nothing's happening. He's it's almost fine. thrown off a broom. And we're like, okay, literally there's a bludger trying to murder him. And we're like, play on, play on. And I'm like, they call a timeout. And it's just like, what? But there's a dangerous yeah. notion that happens here where yeah. I think we see this now, you know, in real life in terms of where. People are trying to push on in an event that is dangerous just so that right. you can get a win. It's yeah. like, Harry, there is something yeah. that's trying to kill you. And in fact, and I don't even know how, how George and Fred are able to control that, seeing that Harry is going at a way faster rate, rate of speed than they are on their slow brooms. And I'm just like, what is happening here? Like, why? Where are the professors? Where, where's Madame Hooch? Hooch? Oh, girl, well, do your research. <laughs> so, um, if it's place, I'm telling you, Green got to be the only safe place out there. <laughs> yeah, and how safe is that? We'll come to see, right? Um, and just you know, just to call out Professor Reels, he didn't do the quiz question. He doesn't know it either. If anybody can come up with it before Reels can, and you DM me and let me know, I may or may not. I will totally okay. have a little piece of Harry Potter memorabilia for you. So if you can come <laughs> up with that answer, send it to me uh, in a DM. When, I will when send we record you next week? Record it next week? Um, probably. Okay. So, so I will have the answer then. One of the issues is that, mm-hmm. and I still have to come up with a trivia for book two, but I will then. Yeah, that's because you didn't answer the first one. I will. But anyway. <laughs> but uh, that's okay. That's okay. So but, yeah. Bridge. Let me this I, I don't even remember what the question was. It was so incredibly oh, complicated. However, you can that, the question was that can you arrange the potion bottles in the okay. order in which they were that's in Snape task in the first book? Unbelievable. Yeah, so if you can answer that and um I'll I'll send you a little Harry Potter that's snippet of love. So many little nuggets that in these books, though I don't always like a lot of them and they have a lot of issues around these books, um, there's always some little nugget in the book that is always like, oh my god, this is so amazing, like I wish I could have think of this. Like this book being like the many symbolism she has in this book, that that requires a mind that is so 
3D training. Her mind are brilliant. Yeah, like all her organizational skills, which I know I need. Looking at my table right now that I've been pounding on all my afternoon. <laughs> I need some of that organization. Oh, Lord. Well, really brilliant. Yeah. I we'll give her that credit. Okay. So, thank you folks for listening in. Janine is going to play some fancy music at the end at the Black Cauldron. Thank you for another episode. This is our third episode. Hope you love it. And just so we're clear, so fun, we're not finished with the second book. So, <laughs> it's the running nope. scene. Go so, figure, right? Go figure. Now, listen, people, that it was supposed to be that we were supposed to do one episode for the first to three books, and then from book four, it's going to be two episodes. I suspect it's going to be three episodes from four to seven. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect. So you have a lot of you have a lot of content from us. So that I mean, because here. what else do you have to do? You're quarantined. Even yeah. if your state is reopening, stay home. We didn't want to give you a seven as a magical number, right? We didn't want to give you that. We wanted to give you to go. We wanted to go above and beyond, like Voldemort, right? Go beyond the realm of re- regular magical podcasts. So, hope you enjoy another episode of Exciting of Black Cauldron. See you next week for a nice hot drink. I'm bringing liquor next time. I swear to God, I am. Fire whiskey to the rescue. Something fruity for Gilderoy. Something lavender. <laughs> Let's design a cocktail. All right. Managed. Yeah.